The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus' people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. Joe Parl is going to be here today, and he's going to speak to us from Proverbs chapter 3, and, and Joe's a great friend. I'm just saying for me, he's a personal friend. He's a great friend of our church. Um, he is in charge of all things at CBS. No, he's at College of Biblical Studies, and uh, that's like his full-time job, but he's a great dad and a great husband and a great friend. Um, so let's welcome him this morning as he gives us a word. Thank you, Pastor Joe. Let me just say it's a real honor um, to be here today. I have a lot of admiration for Pastor Joe and Mindy. They have been such a blessing to our lives, and uh, just a tremendous pastor, just a heart for people. He weeps over us. He prays over us. He ministers to us. He's there for us, um, and is just so selfless, so it's an honor for me um, to be here and to speak in the pulpit that God has him speaking in. Um, regularly here. And so we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3 today. If you don't mind, I'm going to open us up in prayer and then we'll get started. Father, we praise you. We thank you. We lift you up. We exalt you. We worship you, God. We want this time to be all about you, God. And so I'm going to ask every one of you there in your own chairs to pray silently for yourself. If there's anything between you and God that you need to confess, I'd encourage you to do that silently now. So your heart and mind will be as open as possible as to what he has to say to you today. Now I'm going to ask you to pray that God will show you at least one thing today that will change your life forever. Now I'm going to invite you to cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. If there's just something weighing you down, it could be missing your own father. It could be um, something that's going on in your life with your family or your job. Just uh, bring that to the throne of grace and ask him to help you through that uh, situation. Now I'm going to ask you to pray for me that I'll teach you in a manner that's clear, scriptural, and relevant, that I would not seek the approval of men but God alone as I teach you today, and that the Holy Spirit would be my guide, that I would depend on the Holy Spirit and not my own ability or wisdom as I teach you. Now I'm going to ask you to pray that the Holy Spirit will take control of our time to illumine our minds of his truth, to convict our heart of our sin, to instruct us as to how to serve him better. Pray that um, if there's someone among us that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would leave here trusting him as Savior. And perhaps if there uh, is someone among us that's struggling and, uh, with trusting God, that they would find the encouragement they need in that.
Father, we love you, we praise you, we trust you. We entrust this time to you. Speak through me and help us to not just be hearers but doers of the word. And God, we just love you and praise you and um, pray that you will be glorified in this time today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, a few weeks ago, Susan and I um, got to go on a cruise. She's back there in the prayer um, area today. And uh, we love cruises. Cruises are our favorite form of vacation. It gives you an opportunity to be, have someone else feed you, someone else clean your room. Um, you get time to relax and spend time together. And so we were on this um, cruise ship and just having a wonderful, wonderful time. Our kids went as well. And it's kind of nice because you can go and have dinner and, and, and spend time as a family, but then they also can go to the kids' area and you get time alone. And um, for me, life just is easy on the cruise ship. I love cruise ships. I like being on cruise ships. It's just, um, and one time Susan and I were on one in particular, and it was a 14-day cruise, and we just didn't want it to end. Actually, it was a 12-day cruise, and we had spent two extra days on land, but we didn't want it to end. And as we were sitting there on the ship, I was telling Susan, I would love to start a cruise ship ministry. Um, there are a lot of lost people on cruise ships, you know, maybe, maybe we could just live year round on the cruise ship, you know, maybe God's calling us to that. And, um, and it's kind of like Peter, you know, he's at the, he, he's at the trans, Mount of Transfiguration, like, let's just build, you know, something here. This is a, a really great place to be. And um, one of the reasons why Susan loves cruise ships is because I'm disconnected from my phone. I'm too cheap to buy the wireless plan, and so um, I, 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 I'm disconnected from my phone. And, um, you know, a lot of times I'm checking to see what's going on with the Astros or the Rockets and what they're going to do in free agency and things like that. And so, um, and then on top of that, you know, just work and all these things. And so she loves that I'm disconnected from my phone. And on this particular um, cruise we went on, on Sunday morning, we finally got to land. We, we had um, went in, and I turned on my phone, and I started looking, and there was a person that um, texted me and said, are you okay? And I, I literally thought it was because I hadn't posted on Facebook about the Astros recently, and she was worried about maybe something happened to me. And, um, and so, so I, I said, oh, no, we've just been on a cruise. I haven't been by my phone. And... Um, then about a series of texts started coming through, and um, I just went, <gasps> I just, I was in shock, and found out that um, one of my best friends had died while I was on the ship, and uh, I started listening to messages, and his wife had called me on Wednesday night begging me to come to the hospital, and I did not get the message. Um, in fact, we had left, while we were in Puerto Rico, I was able to get cell phone coverage, and so as soon as we, we went off um, of, of the, uh, sailed off from Puerto Rico, I turned my phone off, and she called me within an hour of that happening. And, um, and I just, the air of all of that had happened and all the peace and things, I was, it just sunk out of me. And, and there was a part of me that was just asking God, why? Uh, this guy, David, he was the pastor of First Church Heights, um, he had taken a church that was dying. It had gone down to 30 members and brought it up to almost 200 people in a period of about three years. Uh, he was starting to get kind of more of a national ministry, and um, Jim Jeffries and others had started um, wanting him to kind of come alongside them and help um, with their ministries. Uh, just a tremendous, has a wife who is, loves the Lord and kids. He has, a, uh, I think, a 9-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 17-year-old. 
and, um, and he was a guy that God had just called me to mentor for several years, and I you know, had met with him regularly. I had told Susan at one time that if I ever passed away, I wanted him to preach my, um, or do the eulogy uh, at the funeral, and, um, and, and it never occurred to me that I might be doing his. And um, I guess it was two weeks ago, two Saturdays ago, I was um, doing his, and there's a part of me that wonders, God, why then? Why at that point? You know, it's like he was doing so much for you, Lord. There were so many things that were going right, and, and his ministry is just taking off, and then you take him. And, you know, the uncertainties of what's going to happen in this church and all of these things, it just, it was a struggle. And sometimes, as you know, these things come in waves. And so last night I was on Facebook, found out that another good friend of mine um, passed away last night. Um, and uh, in David's case, it was unexpected. He was 46 and had a heart attack. Um, now, if you knew David, he was like a vegan. He was uh, always exercising. In fact, he had gone to the gym that morning. I mean, he was like a health nut. In fact, he was trying to recruit me to be a vegan. I was like, I like, I like meat too much, man. I just, I can't go there. And, um, and, 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 you know, and so he was, it was just so unexpected that 46, you know, this guy that took such good care of his body and, and was so particular about everything would die. And last night it was a little bit more expected, but a friend of mine who had a long bout with cancer passed away. And, um, and so it's, I told Susan the other day, I went to a friend's son's wedding, and I said to Susan, I said, just life is changing. There was a time in my childhood when we were always going to my parents' friends' weddings and my parents' friends' funerals, and, you know, my parents' friends had a baby. Um, and then you kind of get a little older, and then you start going to your friends' weddings, your friends' baby showers, and your parents' friends' funerals. And I said, now we're getting to an age where I'm going to my friend's children's weddings um, to my friend's funerals. And for some of you, you've had an experience that I haven't had yet um, by the grace of God, but um, I can't imagine how hard it is. Some of you have gone to your father's funeral. And for those of you that are missing your father today, I'm sure that you're in a position where it's just hard um, in fact, some of you have lost both parents at this point. I once went to a coworker who had just lost her father um, after she had already lost her mother, and she said, I feel like an adult orphan. Um, that, you know, um, yes, I'm an adult. Yes, I can take care of myself, but that grounding, knowing your father or your mother is always there, I feel like an adult orphan. Like, I, my grounding in the world is gone. And for those of you that feel like an adult orphan today, I know that Father's Day can be hard. And today we're going to learn a little bit about uh, Father's Day. We're going to learn a, a little bit about fathers. Um, but you are not fatherless. Uh, God is a father of the fatherless. So if you are here today, even though your earthly father is not here, I just want to encourage you and say you are not fatherless. And today we're going to learn about earthly fathers and heavenly fathers. We're going to be in Proverbs 3. And I'm going to give you an overview of Proverbs 3 and then just focus on um, some aspects of uh, Proverbs. Um, the context is uh, in ver uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, trust in your earthly father's teaching. And then verses 5 through 35 are trusting in our heavenly father's teaching. And it seems to me that the, the second half of that is divided into two ways. Trusting in God's teaching brings blessing, and not obeying God's teaching brings dishonor. This series is called Foolproof, 
And one of the ways you can be foolproof is to listen to your earthly fathers and to, to, to honor their advice that they've given you through the years, but also to trust in your heavenly father. So let's go to the first part, trusting in our earthly father. Proverbs 3, 1 through 4 says this, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandment, commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Proverbs was a book written by fathers. Um, in fact, the book of Proverbs was... Most of these Proverbs are kings or leaders, men, who are writing their sons with wisdom on how to rule in a godly way. And so the book of Proverbs is a book for fathers to their sons. It's a message to sons. And so this chapter begins by saying, my son, don't forget my law. Don't let your heart or let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace. They will add to you. For those of us who are maybe teens or um, young adults in the room, what I would say to this is that your father's advice is intended to preserve you. Now, I will tell you that there was a time when I was a kid when my dad was my hero. I just thought dad couldn't do wrong. And, um, and then, you know, I kind of grew up, and then in middle school, he kind of became somewhat of an embarrassment. You know, I just I didn't want to be in the mall with dad. Um, and then when I became a, a teenager, um, and in my early college years, dad was dumb. You know, it's like dad just didn't, a, a lot of what he told me didn't, you know, I just thought he didn't understand the way the world works, you know. And, um, and then as I got a little older, I thought, you know what, dad's not as dumb as I thought he was. He has a, he has a lot, of, lot of good ideas. And then I had kids of my own, and I thought, dad is, dad had a lot of wisdom. This is a lot harder than it looks, you know. When you're a kid and your dad gets angry and blows up and you're like, oh, he's, he's you know, verbally abusing me or he's mean or he's so hard or whatever. And then you find yourself blowing up at your own kids and like, oh, that's, that's what it was like, you know. I, I was sleep deprived and he was, you know, and he's been working hard and and, um, and all those things you never thought you'd do, you do. And all the things you never thought you'd say to your kids, you find yourself saying, you know. And, and then the older I get, the more my dad is becoming my hero again. That, you know, as, as life goes on, and what he's saying here is that his advice is intended to bring length of days and long life and peace. To the young people in the room, I would just say, your dad, you know, and, and, and no per dad is perfect, and I'm sh sure there are some among us that are a very imperfect father, maybe a father that wasn't present. Um, I would say that um, to those of us that have fathers that at least are trying to pursue God, that, that the advice they're giving you, the help they're giving you is, is for your good. The intention is to give you length of days, long life, and, and peace. And also to find favor, to teach you how to have favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. One thing I appreciate is my dad, you know, tried to teach me good work ethic. You know, when I was a kid, you know, I, he would often, he'd have me cut the yard in Houston, you know, and, and I just, I would, my job was to get it done as soon as I could. And I remember my dad would take me out and show me the little strip that I missed and 
get the lawnmower back out, you know, come out and do that. And, and I remember just being, he's so hard on me, you know. Um, but then later, as I see the fruits of that work ethic and those things that he taught me, my dad taught me to be a gentleman. I remember when I had my first girlfriend, you know, in high school, and I was, I was walking with her, and he's like, Joe, you're on the wrong side of her. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, you need to be on the side where the cars are um, so that you can protect her. She needs to be uh, on this side. And I was like, so, Dad, you want me to get hit instead of her? Is that what you're <laughs> asking me to do? Um, and I ended up finding out it's actually the opposite. You know, back in the old days, you actually were on the other side of her because people would dump their dung and pee out of the windows, and the man was supposed, supposed to fall on the man, so you wanted to be closest to the windows. Um, but the point was he wanted me to be a person that could find favor and high esteem. And he wanted me to be a person that valued women and valued other people. And so um, the thing I would just share with you is, is, is to those of you that that are younger to, to listen to your father, to see that, that, that their heart and their desire. And, and, and for those of you that had imperfect father, that's where we get to that second point of listening to your heavenly father. I realize there's some of you that Father's Day is kind of difficult because it's like, I don't know what having a father in my life is. I don't know what that's like. I, I've never had my parents, you know, my dad wasn't around or et cetera. You, you do have a heavenly father that will give you this wisdom. And so... I wanted to summarize chapter 3. I can't really do it justice. Pastor Joe does a really good job of taking people through the whole chapter, and I, I'm not as, as, as skilled at him as that. And so I just wanted to kind of highlight what chapter 3 says in terms of the blessings um, from trusting God's teaching and the consequences of not trusting God's teaching. He says um, in Proverbs 3 that when we follow God's teaching, we get direction, Proverbs 3, 6. We get health and strength, Proverbs 3.7. We get financial blessing, Proverbs 3.10. Happiness, 3.13. Length of days, 3.16. Life to the soul and grace to the neck, 3.22. Safety, 3.23. Freedom from fear, 3.24. God will be our confidence, 3.26. And grace and glory, 3.34-35. That's a pretty exhausting list of what the benefits are of trusting God. Um, that these are the things that, that, that God's Word says that are results of, of trusting God. And these are some of the things that many of us are, are looking for. We're seeking. We're asking God for peace and for financial blessing, for, for a long life and for safety and freedom from fear. These are things we, we ask Him. But in, in contrast to that, He also gives consequences for not trusting God's teaching. He says we would get curse in 333, scorn in 334, and shame in 335. Now, I do want to, to caution you, because I know for some of you, you're saying, well, I have been trusting in God's teaching, and, and I haven't seen the blessings, and, and I'm, I feel like I'm experiencing the curse, or, or are you going to go in a prosperity direction here and tell me that my life can be long, and I won't have hardship, and I'll have financial blessing? Um, the thing I want to point out is Proverbs are principles, and they're not necessarily exclusively promises. Proverbs are distilled wisdom. Um, we have Proverbs in our American culture. There's no such thing as a free lunch. You get what you pay for. Is that really true? Is you get what you pay for true 100% of the time? No. In fact, the greatest thing we could have ever got, we didn't pay for. And that's salvation in Jesus Christ. There's something that I got, eternal life, that I never paid for. And so, 
these statements are not written by lawyers. They're not, Proverbs are not written by lawyers. You know, you see a commercial and it says 0% interest for 72 months and then you get the, only for well-qualified buyers, you know. Um, <laughs> you get the statement. You don't get all of the qualifications. In fact, I think that Proverbs and Ecclesiastes need to be read together because Ecclesiastes gives you all the qualifications. In Ecclesiastes, he's just kind of saying, sometimes good people suffer and they go through difficult times and rich people rule and they've got plenty of money and plenty of food and security. And so really, um, Proverbs are not promises, but they are principles. In other words, if you follow the Proverbs, more often than not, the things that are said in the Proverbs will happen. That it's better, you're more likely to have length of days if you trust in God's commandments than if you don't. You are more likely to have safety if you trust in God's commandments than if you don't. You are more likely to have peace and freedom from fear if you trust in God's commandments than if you don't. But there always are the possibilities of exceptions. Faith Life Bible Study, uh, Study Bible says, while some Proverbs show the wise and righteous enjoying wealth, others show the wicked is wealthy. Other Proverbs emphasize that wisdom and righteous are preferable to wealth. One book I really like and I would recommend is a book by Larry Crabb. It's called The Pressure's Off. And he, in his book, describes that oftentimes as Christians, one of our biggest struggles is what he calls linear thinking. If I do A, I will always get B. And, and a lot of times we kind of assume, well, if I do A, then B is always going to happen. And he said the challenge with that is that it usually breeds one of two things. Linear thinking usually either bring, breeds pride or discouragement. And so someone comes up and gives a testimony about, you know, their, their two kids or their three kids, and they're so great, and they're doing mission work, and, and, and they're, you know, wonderful. And they say, you know why? Because I trained up my child on the way he should go. And when he's old, he didn't depart from it. That's why. And that can sometimes breed pride. My kids are good because I trained them up to God's word. Somewhere in that crowd, there's going to be someone that's going to be saying, I thought I did that. We had our regular devotionals. We, we, we spent our time in the Word, and, and I, I, I tried to, you know, put them in Awana. We memorized verses. We, we did all these things, and now they don't believe in Jesus at all. What did I do wrong? And we also know the opposite is true. Sometimes there are godly people that, that grew up in very ungodly families. Um, and so the reality is, is that sometimes if we if we think it's always going to be a guarantee, it can breed pride or discouragement. He says, the only real guarantee is this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He said, oftentimes we look for a better life when God offers us a better hope. We might not have length of days. We might have, be experiencing loss. We might be missing our father today. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is what is offered in the Bible that he is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. How would we know he's close to the brokenhearted if he never let our heart be broken? How would we know he saves those who are crushed in spirit if he never let our spirit be crushed? And so what we can count on in those difficult times is God's presence. So Proverbs, as I said, are principles. Um, when uh, there's Proverbs 16, 7 is interesting. When a man's ways please the Lord... He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Well, this to me clearly has some exceptions. I think we can probably think of some. Jesus, uh, <laughs> you know, Jesus' ways were pleasing to the Lord, but clearly his enemies crucified him. 
Jeremiah, all these. So I just want to point out that these, these uh, Proverbs are not inherent promises, but they are principles. Train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it is another one. Um, and as I already mentioned before, um, there's a debate as to actually what this text means. Um, the way he should go is actually not in the text. The, the actual translation is train up a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so one interpretation of it is that if you train up God in, in God's way, um, that when he is old, he will not. The second is that if you train up a child according to his bent or her bent, Chuck Swindoll takes that position that, you know, um, we all know that have kids. Kids are different. What worked with one doesn't work with the other, you know, and, and knowing your children and train them. But um, the third view, which is the one I lean to, is actually that it's a warning. Train up a child according to his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We all as parents know there's always a temptation to give our kids their way. You know, it's late at night, and they're saying, can I please eat this, or can I please not go to bed? And we're just like, I'm tired, just do whatever you want. And he says, what the, I think what the proverb actually is saying is, if you constantly give your kid their way, when they're old, they're always going to expect their way. Um, so it could be a warning. Um, so my point in all this is that it's not always a guarantee. We can't always be certain, but the principles in and of themselves bring fruit. You might not experience everything on that blessing list, but I think you will experience at least some. Um, and that's what I want to talk. So I want to talk about what does trusting God look like. I want to take a very famous passage. I want to talk about our role in trusting God and God's response to our trust. And I'm going to take the very famous Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. I want to talk a little bit about how God must be trusted with all our heart. We must depend on his wisdom, and we must acknowledge God in all our ways. That's our role in trusting God. God must be trusted. The Hebrew word translated trust, betach, means to literally lean on something or figuratively to rely on something for security and protection. When things get difficult, what do we lean on? What, what is it that we lean on, that we depend on? In fact, I would argue that trust is at the center of what the gospel is. That we often, this whole verse is almost a picture of the difference between a gospel-centered life and a self-centered life. That we can either choose to lean on our own understanding, our way of doing things, or God's way of doing things. And so the reality is the gospel tells us we're all sinners and we cannot save ourselves. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus died for our sins to pay the penalty of our sins, and he rose again... And the way to salvation is by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for everlasting life. But let me tell you, that same gospel that saved you can also sanctify you. That if you're like me and you're struggling with trust, then the answer to that trust goes back to that very gospel. It's saying, God, I can't do this. I'm a sinner. I'm struggling with trusting you right now. I know you died for this lack of trust. I know you're a good God. I know that you, are, 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 you love me. 
And so I'm asking you by faith to help me to trust you in the areas where I'm struggling to trust you. See, we can either choose to depend on our own work or our own way or our own thoughts of how to fix things, or we can trust in God himself to do that. And sometimes what God will do is he'll take the very thing we're leaning on and he'll knock it out of us. If there's something that we're leaning on instead of God, oftentimes he will take that out. It's kind of like when Jacob was wrestling with God, and Jacob and God are wrestling, and it says that it was looking as though God was not prevailing. And I don't think that means that God was too weak. It just means that Jacob was not giving up. Um, he's a scrappy kind of fighter, and, and so God does something. He hits him in his hip socket. Why does he hit him in the hip socket? Well, he hits him here because all you can do when that happens is fall and lean on the person in front of you. A lot of times we're like Jacob. There's something that God wants to, to, to work in us, and we kind of say, oh God, just don't do this. Please don't let this. And he says, you're leaning on something that I don't want you to be leaning on, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to remove that. And when I remove that or I put it at risk, the only thing you can do is fall and lean on me. And so that's God's desire, is to literally lean on him. Can you go to the next point there? Okay, good. The next thing is that he must be trusted with all our heart. Um, the heart is the seed of the mind's emotions, will, and conscience. Um, it's our entire immaterial being. So we have a body, and then the heart is our... A lot of times we kind of think that heart is just the place, the seat of emotions. That really doesn't encapsulate all that the heart is. In our heart, we have our mind. Our brain is the physical part, but our mind is how we think. We have our will. We have our emotions, but we also have our conscience. And if we are believers, we have the Holy Spirit as well. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have Christ in our heart that we have this, the Holy Spirit that is, is helping us through these things. And so it really compromises, it comprises the entire person, the entire. And so when he says, trust in the Lord your God with all your heart, he literally means every aspect of yourself. And sometimes our mind might be in the right place, but our emotions aren't in the right place. Or our emotions are in the right place, but our will won't go there. Uh, but what God desires of us is to trust him with all of our heart. Um, I think uh, Tony Campolo gives an illustration that if we were to truly sing I Surrender All in the way that our hearts reflect, the song would probably go, I surrender 50%. I surrender 25%. 10% to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender 5%. That's probably, for a lot of us, including myself, how our heart really is. We might sing it out here, and, and it's not wrong to sing it. The, the singing of it may, may be saying, God, we want to get to the point to where we are surrendering 100%. But the reality of it is, is that oftentimes that's not the way that our life is, supposed, is, 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 is actually happening. Trust begins internally, and then it's ev evidence externally throughout our actions. Imagine that you're on an airplane, and, and, and it's about to crash, and you see a parachute, and you're scared of heights. Um, now, before, when they were going through all of the safety things, they might, you know, they might have said, yeah, we've got parachutes at the front. You might have been completely sure, yeah. And if someone asked you, you know, if, you were, if your life in danger, do you think that parachute could, could, could help you? Yes, absolutely. 
but it's quite another thing. You might get the parachute on and say, yes, I think, it, I think this will work. But there has to be a point where we jump out of the plane and rely on the parachute. Where are we in trusting God? Are we kind of more at an intellectual, mental? Yeah, I know he's going to get me through this. Are we perhaps maybe even at, a, at an emotional? I'm sure he can get, I, I feel good about him getting through this. Or are we at a mind, emotions, and will where we're literally ready to jump out of the plane? To allow him to, to take those things, to take control in all those ways. The same Hebrew word for heart is used in Judges 16, 15, when Delilah said to Samson, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? While Samson's lack of trust in Delilah was justifiable, it is a sign of love. And so sometimes we might say we love God, but truly our heart isn't with him. How do you feel when someone doesn't love or trust you? Um, can you imagine God? You know, it's kind of like here he is, the creator of the universe, the one that gave us life and all these things, and we're lacking in trust. Um, now, once again, he's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. But, um, but you know, um, sometimes we act more like Delilah than um, to a good God um, than we should. Um, and so the issue is, is I think our heart has to be in that process of trust. Well, what's the opposite of that? It says, and do not lean on your own understanding. We must replace leaning on our own human wisdom with acknowledging him in all we do. Um, and so um, in, in the Proverbs, there are three things that are often spoken about. There's knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Knowledge is an intellectual comprehension of the divine truth. I know this intellectually. Understanding is a subjective experience of something. Wisdom is when knowledge and understanding are married. And so in my mind, I might know something. You know, I, I think I've shared with you before, I used to get marriage counseling before I got married. Um, and so I, I, you know, I was in seminary. Someone asked me to perform their wedding. I'd never been married. I did marriage counseling. And I thought in my mind, well, I know what the Bible says about marriage. I can help them with that. Um, but I didn't have the experience of, of being married. I didn't understand, you know. And so before I got married, I just was always shocked at what people argue about, married people argue about, you know. And, um, and it wasn't until my wife and I were arguing about how to store rich crackers that I realized that this is really hard. <laughs> and so... Um, there's knowledge and then there's that experience and those two things together when they're directed at God provide wisdom. However, the word understanding is used a little differently here. This is saying do not lean on your own experience. This is not the experience of God's truth. This is our own truth. And I think this often is at odds with trusting in God. In other words, God calls us to do something and then we say, well, God, but you know, last time this didn't go so well. Or, you know, my own father was not there for me. How can I trust in you, God? Or, God, in my experience, there were times I needed you that you didn't show up. And so oftentimes we have to align those experiences to God's character. In his book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts, Jerry Bridges says, we have to always remember God is omniscient, therefore he knows what's best for us. God is loving, therefore he wants what's best for us. And God is sovereign, therefore he can 
do what's best for us. Oftentimes when we're struggling to trust God, it's one of those three things. We're either questioning his omniscience, that he knows what's best, his love, that he wants to do what's best, or his sovereignty, that he can do what's best. And so there's a transfer. It's a transfer for our own experience, our own fears, ultimately to him. And so we also have to depend on God's wisdom. In all your ways, acknowledge him. The Hebrew word for knowledge is literally, acknowledge is literally the word yada, which is intimate knowledge. It's just as Adam knew Eve, that, that kind of concept. The better we know somebody, the more likely we are to trust them. Now, you know, if I'm, if I'm at Starbucks and if Starbucks is full um, and I need to run to the restroom, I may say to somebody, hey, can you watch my seat? But oftentimes, I'm going to take my laptop with me into the restroom because I don't trust that my laptop will be safe there. It's a different level if I say to somebody, hey, here are the keys to my car. Will you watch my car? Now, I may do that at a restaurant to a valet that I've never met, um, but I trust that, you know, if he's still in operation, that that may... Um, it's another level now to say, I trust you with my kids, that requires a different level of knowledge. I, I, I usually wouldn't trust someone that I don't know to watch my kids for an extended period of time. But then it's another level of trust for me to say to somebody, I'm going to trust you with the intimate details of my life. There's one person that I meet with every week, Terry Bryan, uh, used to go to church here, many of you know. He's my accountability partner. He could probably get me fired. He could probably get me in a lot of trouble based on the knowledge he knows of 10 years of the two of us talking through. I mean, he knows what goes on in my mind, in my life, and things like that. There's a certain level of trust that I have for him, but it's because I know him. Because we met twice a week for several years, because, because we've been friends, because I've, I've seen that he hasn't divulged confidential things about me. The extent to which we trust God is the extent to which we know God. And if we're struggling to trust God in something, there may be one area you don't know about him fully. And it may be that perhaps God is trying to help you to experience a different type of deliverance in order to know his faithfulness in this area. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the knowledge, the, the, um, the intellectual. It's not the knowledge. It may be the understanding, the subjective experience. It may be the emotion. In other words, you might say, yes, I can trust God in this area. I know what the word of God says. But your emotions have not gotten to where your head is. And once again, I don't want you to come away from this condemned and saying, oh, I don't trust God. Oh, what? You know, I want you to come away with this in prayer and say, God, I know my emotions are not with you at this point. In my mind, I know that you're trustworthy, but my emotions are not there. Can you help me to trust you? Because I know that you are a good God and you're faithful and you can do what I'm asking you to do. This same God was the same God who um, is our creator in 3, 19 through 20. It emphasized him as creator. Um, that he provides wisdom, which is access to the tree of life, it says in 3, 15. And so through every aspect of our journey, we must grow in intimate knowledge of him. Next, God will direct our paths by removing those obstacles and providing a smooth road. It says, trust in God with all your heart, Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Um, 
oftentimes when a king would be coming to a city, they would have to prepare the road. When John the Baptist said, prepare the road for the Messiah, they didn't have a lot of, of, of cleared roads in Israel, in Palestine during that time. And so oftentimes when a king was coming, they would have to clear the way. They would, you know, there would be robbers and animals and things like that. And so they try to clear the way for the king to come. And trusting is our way of clearing the way so he can direct our paths. Now, I will say, though, that that, once again, this is not a 100% promise guarantee. There are going to be times when we are trusting and we're still uncertain on what path to take. When we're not entirely sure. And there are a lot of times when I think God will find us in those moments, those detours, those difficulties. And perhaps part of the reason why he's not revealed exactly what our path is, is because there are some things that we do not know yet that have to come to play before he can make that path very clear. And there's sometimes, honestly, I think God has not revealed his path to me precisely because if he did, I'd run. He knows that, oh God, surely you're not going to do this. Surely that's not. And so there are times when that direction may wait until he knows that my heart and mind is ready to take his direction. So what did we talk about today? We talked about our role in trusting God. We talked about God's response to our trust. We talked about trusting in our earthly father's wisdom, and we talked about trusting in our heavenly father's wisdom. I'd like to close uh, with this illustration. Um, have you ever had a moment that was so great that you never wanted to leave it? Sitting on that cruise ship is like a moment like that where you, you're in there and you know, I just don't want this to leave, but I know that those moments have to pass. And the maker of those moments is God. And God is going to provide a moment for us if we have truly trusted in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that we're sinners, we cannot save ourselves, that Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sins, and he provided eternal life for us, and we're trusting in him alone and not our own works for that there will be a moment when we will be in heaven. And heaven is that place where all those moments, the creator of the moments is there, and he, God himself, in those moments, we'll see him, we'll know him. And as a result of seeing him and knowing him, we'll say, wow, this is amazing, God. I never want to leave this place, and then he'll show us something else. And we say, God, I never want to leave this place, and then he'll show us something else. And each of those moments as we get into that experience, we'll say, God, I never want to leave this, and then we never will have to. And I also picture heaven as a place where we will be united with our Heavenly Father. It's the Heavenly Father's Day. It's the ultimate Father's Day, that after years of difficulty and challenge and separation, I can just imagine that moment when I'm running into my Father's arms. And so for, uh, for those of us that grieve at, at Father's Day, may there be hope. For those of us that, that, that um, have our kids and have our fathers, may there be uh, encouragement and comfort and, and an appreciation of the time that we have. For those of us that have never had a father, may we rejoice in the fact that we have a heavenly father in heaven. Let us pray. Father, we praise you and thank you, God, that you are the giver of all good things. And you are our great Father, and that we are not orphans. We are not alone, that you are a father to the fatherless, that you are there for us. Help us in those moments that we don't trust. 
I know there are several things in which I don't trust you with all my heart. And there are several areas in my life that you revealed to me this weekend where I'm leaning on my own understanding. God, may we surrender those and leave those at your feet. May we be willing to acknowledge you in everything we do. And God, may you direct our paths. Lord, we love you, praise you, and trust you, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Joe. You guys